Isn't it great to be together, just to worship God together? So good to see you all. So good to know that West Campus is out there. Welcome. And uh, I am Lynn Kitchens, part of the teaching team. Happy to be here. Well, I was working on this message. I thought a lot about my son, Tyler. He just turned 30. I cannot believe it. He lives in Dallas, but he has something he likes to do when he hears something that amazes him, and he'll say, what? That's what he does. Now, he does it so much now that you can even say, I'm making you some scrambled eggs, and he'll go, what? Uh, But today's topic is a what topic. It's all about us. It's all about the fact that God had designed from the beginning of eternity to include Gentiles in the gift of salvation through his son. We are here today. We are here at his church because God wants us here. We received a personal invitation from God himself to be called his children and to receive an inheritance that children receive, a relationship with him and an eternal future with him. And it all began with the promise that God made to Abraham, the father of the Jews, and to save the date. Now, I was thinking about save the dates, and I want you guys to raise your hands. How many of you really save the date when you get to save the date? Okay, how many of you lose the save the date and forget the date? Okay, about half. Yeah, that's good. Okay, what if your save the date said 2,000 years later, save this date? That's what Abraham got. That was his save the date. Remember, God called Abraham to be the father of a nation that would be set apart. They would worship the one true God. They would receive God's promises. This was the Jewish nation, the children of God. But on the day that God called Abraham to come apart to um, be the father of this nation, he handed him a save the date. He announced that one day all nations will be blessed through you, Abraham, and your offspring. That offspring, we know, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only would the Jews have access to God's Son, all people who put their faith in him, would have access. So today, Gentiles like you and I who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Look at Galatians 3. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And you and I know a lot of stories of in the Old Testament of Gentiles who came to the Jewish God through faith, Ruth and Rahab being just two that we've looked at. So coming to God in faith is possible for everyone. But in the Jewish way of thinking in the Old Testament, God didn't save Gentiles as Gentiles. They had to become Jews which was true for Ruth and Rahab. And it was still their faith that saved them, but then they were to become Jews to be part of God's family. And that made sense in the Old Testament. Uh, The Jews were the people of God. They held the promises of God. But a time was coming when God would deliver an invitation to the Gentiles to come to him, receive his spirit, 
and join his church apart from the path of Judaism. Not by the way of Israel, not by the way of circumcision, not by the law, but on the basis of the finished work of Christ on the cross. Gentiles would come to Christ as Gentiles without first having to go through that narrow door of Judaism. That was the save the date. Many years would go by before this formal invitation would be given to the Gentiles themselves. And during the time of Christ, we know Israel was filled with a lot of racial pride. The Jews believed with all their heart that God's favor extended to them and them alone. And they disdained Gentiles as dogs. No Orthodox Jew ever set foot in a Gentile's house, and never would they invite one into theirs. Dirt from a Gentile country was considered defiled. So if you were walking and you happened to travel through a non-Jewish area when you got to Israel, you shook that dust off your feet before you set your foot into Israel. Jews wouldn't even eat food that had been prepared by Gentiles. And if they went to the market and bought a cooking pot from a Gentile, they had to bring it home and purify it before God, before they would use it. They were unclean, and their presence was defiling to the Jews. But here's the thing. It wasn't God's plan for the church to be filled with only Jews and a few Samaritans here and there. So how in the world would the church survive if they held on to this kind of prejudice that they were carrying then? We talked about a few weeks ago when they did realize, the Jews realized the Samaritans were invited into God's church. What a shock. That's when they all said, what? What? But then later they celebrated. But there's a little bit of a difference here. They didn't hate the Samaritans as deeply as they hated the Gentiles. The Samaritans were partly Jewish. But for a Jew in the time of Christ to think these idolatrous people who were unclean, that worship false gods, could be a part of God's new church that was growing and spreading, they could not fathom it. Even the apostles at this point could not fathom that. So, Jesus had told them this would happen. They didn't comprehend it. Remember you read in your homework, he said, I have other sheep. They're not of this fold. Look what he says in Matthew 8, too. They heard Jesus say, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. So before the gospel could be preached and embraced by all the nations, this final barrier to unity had to be torn down between the Jews and Gentiles, and the time was now, and the person to deliver God's invitation was Peter, which is great. Later, Peter would say to the church later on in Acts, you know, in the early days of the church, God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the gospel and believe it. That was God's plan for Peter. But Peter wasn't ready to pass out God's invitation. God had to prepare him for that. And the first way he did was to get Peter to begin to understand the importance of caring for all of God's sheep, for all people of faith. 
You looked in your homework at an important conversation Jesus had with Peter. This is when uh, Jesus had resurrected. He's sitting with Peter at a bonfire on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus was looking long and hard into the face of this disciple he loved. This prideful, brash, impulsive disciple that Jesus loved. And this was the disciple that had bragged to Jesus, Never, never will I deny you. And then in the Garden of Gethsemane, after that, we know Peter denied Christ three times. So he's sitting here on the shore by a fire, and uh, Jesus is doing this with him. You know this move? Jesus invented it. It's me and you, Peter. I'm looking long and hard at you, and I think Peter was uncomfortable. Because God says, I mean, the word says that he was hurt by Christ's words. So Jesus asked this man who denied him three times to reaffirm his devotion to him three times, asking him, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Three times Peter's so hurt by that, he says, yes, you know I love you. Three times Jesus answers, then feed and tend my sheep. That's how I'm going to know, Peter. How you treat the church and the people in the church. That's your job, to feed and tend my sheep. And so that's what Peter would do. He tended Christ's sheep in the church by teaching them, leading them, helping them, healing them out of a true love for him. And I think as Peter was active in this early church, I think those words of Christ probably were constantly on his mind. Feed my sheep, tend my sheep, love my sheep. And as Peter obeyed what Christ called him to do, I think Peter began to look more and more like Jesus. The proud heart of Peter was being replaced by the compassionate heart of Christ. Loving those who Jesus loved, it was a perfect preparation for Peter because guess what? Jesus loved the Gentiles. One day Peter was going to have to love them. So he's on the love field being prepared by God. Look at verse 32 in chapter 9. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. I just wanted to read that one verse because this tells you a lot about Peter. He's traveling. He's visiting the saints. He cares about God's sheep. He wants to encourage them. And oftentimes in our faith today, what do we see with the people that teach and lead? They sort of distance themselves from the followers of God. Peter wasn't that kind of guy. He went out wandering around, visiting the churches in the different cities to see how they were doing. He didn't want to lead them from afar. He cared about them. He was becoming the shepherd God asked him to be. So in verse 32, he's involved in the areas around Judea. He's in Lydda and Joppa. These were coastal communities on the Mediterranean Sea. And I think God would use Peter's willingness to be involved with the people to bring this rich harvest for God's kingdom. And one day very soon, Peter would also be used to gather this abundant harvest of the Gentiles. He just didn't know it yet. You read in the next few verses, we won't read them now, about how Jesus, uh, Peter met Aeneas and also Tabitha or Dorcas. 
Aeneas was paralyzed and bedridden for eight years. And uh, Tabitha was a woman of kindness and generosity who had died, and the church was mourning her loss. Peter miraculously heals Aeneas, and he also brings back to life Tabitha. And both of these miracles followed the loving example of Jesus. When we think about Peter healing Ananias and Lydda, it reminds us of when Jesus healed a paralyzed man in Capernaum. Jesus said to the paralyzed man in Capernaum, Get up! Take up your mat! Go home! Peter looks at Ananias paralyzed and says, Get up! Take up your mat! Tidy up your mat! When we think about the raising of Tabitha, it reminds us of Jesus raising Jairus' daughter from the dead. Remember how Jesus sent all the people out of the room. Peter does the same thing with Tabitha. Sends them out of the room, and both Peter and Jesus command with the same words, Arise, or get up, using the same words. But there's going to be one huge difference between these healings and miracles. When Christ healed, he did it in his own name. When Peter did it, he did it in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. He says to those he heals, Jesus Christ heals you. Peter wants Jesus to get the glory. And I read in one of his letters later how he really describes what he did in these miracles, how he spoke and healed in the strength and power of God for the glory of God. Look on your verse sheet at 1 Peter 4. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So these miracles that mirrored Jesus' miracles... The word of it spread throughout the cities. Lydda, Sharon, Joppa, and many believed in who Jesus really was. And I believe God was using Peter's love for the saints to prepare him for another mission of love to the Gentiles. We're going to see another way he's prepared. Look at verse 43 in chapter 9. This is after he heals and raises Tabitha from the dead. It says, Peter stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. In this verse, we see God preparing Peter in another way. Peter decides to stay in Joppa, and I know he wanted to just keep encouraging the church. And we see him him staying in the home of Simon, the tanner. This is a what? A what moment? Oh my gosh, we don't. Jewish people, we don't stay with tanners because, you see, they take animals and they're dead and they skin them and their hands have touched dead things. So we shun tanners. We don't let Jewish tanners even come to the synagogue. We shun them and we would never stay in their house. For Peter to step foot into the house of Simon the tanner he would have to step over all the legalism that controlled the hearts of the Jewish people and had controlled Peter's heart up to that moment. Luke wants us, I think it's great, Luke lets us know he stayed there. I think Luke wants us to envision Peter placing his head on a tanner's pillow every night. 
I think he does. He wants us to realize, look, Peter's choosing love over legalism. I've been reading a book with a lot of true stories in it, and I love it. And there was one story about a slave, and he says that he thinks he rode hundreds of people, other slaves, across the Ohio River to freedom during the Civil War. And uh, at the time he started doing that, he was terrified for his life because he thought, if my master finds out, that's the end of me. But a preacher, he noticed, had begun coming and speaking to his master. And the master's prejudices and hatred were beginning to crumble in his heart. And so when his slave would be out all night rowing other slaves to safety, he would sort of just ignore it. And the next day, this man who was freeing people would fall asleep all through the day because he'd been up all night, and his master never said anything to him. And one day, this slave rowed himself to freedom across the Ohio River. And I think that his slave master no longer could look in his slave's face and see this man he hated that was only a slave. He was now looking at him and realized he was a person. He had value. And he let him go to his freedom. When Peter looked into Simon's face, no longer did he see a tanner. He saw someone in love with Jesus Christ. So he went into his house. Peter then is going to ponder the words of God. Uh, Soon God's anticipated invitation to the Gentiles to join his church was going to be delivered. I was thinking back to a time that my daughter Cassie was really little and we, she wanted a birthday party. She wanted to call it the chocolate birthday party. So we ate everything chocolate and I took hats and made them look like Hershey Kisses uh, hats and so all the little girls wore their hats. Then we got this great idea of when we sent the invitation out, we would put chocolate fingerprints on the invitation and mailed it out. And now I look back and think, probably people thought, what a mess. I mean, were they eating a Snickers bar when they sent out these? We thought we were so creative. God's fingerprints are all over this invitation to the Gentiles. He is at work. And it starts with a guy, too, named Cornelius. While God's preparing Peter's heart to deliver the invitation, he's preparing the heart of a Gentile named Cornelius to accept the invitation. God is at work. His fingerprints are on this action, and he's there pursuing Cornelius, and he's going to accomplish getting the two of them together by uh, visions for both of them. So you think about two men, a Gentile and a Jew, whose prayers later on would be invaded by God with two visions to one day bring them together and change the history of the church. And just so we don't miss how incredible and monumental this moment is, you're going to notice as you continue in Acts that you have to read this story two more times. Luke writes it three times in the book of Acts. That's how important this moment was. So we need to head to the home of a Roman centurion named Cornelius. He's 30 miles up the coast from where Peter is. Look at verse 1 in chapter 10. 
At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. Okay, here's what we learn. As a centurion, he would have been in charge of 100 soldiers. In the Italian regiment, there would be a total of 600 soldiers. So there were six men that each had 100 men. Seems like Cornelius was a really good guy. But we all know you don't get to heaven by being a really good guy. And so he was seeking God. God was seeking him for New Testament salvation. He already believed and he prayed to the God of the Jews, but God wants to introduce Cornelius and all the Gentiles to his son. As a God-fearer, Cornelius was almost a convert to Judaism. He could go to the synagogue. He could observe some Jewish ceremonies. But since he was not circumcised, he could not ever be fully accepted by the Jews. It was like... He stood at the gate of Judaism, and it was a little cracked, and he could look inside, but he could never entirely open that gate and reap the promises and the blessings that God gave the Jews. But he was about to discover something much better. He was about to discover full and total acceptance by God through Jesus Christ, his son. The door would be wide open for him. Acts 10.3 About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who's called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Such a cool story. So Cornelius is used to his appointed times, Jewish times of prayer. Cornelius is following them. Three o'clock, God is waiting for Cornelius. So as soon as he starts to pray, God invades his prayers. He sends an angel to talk to him. And when we read the word terrorize there, terror, picture it. I mean, he, he probably could hardly talk. He was so terrified. Later on, we see it was a vision in white. It was very frightening to Cornelius. But God wants to be sure that Cornelius makes it to his party. And so he comes and sends an angel to give him direction on getting there. And he wants both groups to attend, Peter and his Jewish companions, Cornelius and his Gentile friends. And I was thinking about the Jews believed that their burning sacrifices and memorials would rise to God and that's how he would remember them. So since Cornelius was not a full-fledged proselyte and he could not do this daily in the temple, when the angel said to him, your giving and your prayers have reached God, that would have been the best thing he could have heard. Because I think he would have been wondering all this time, do my prayers get to God? Does he really hear me? And I think he realized 
he was being invited into the biggest adventure of his life by God himself. And as soon as that angel leaves, he is ready to send his servants to Joppa. Meanwhile, 30 miles away, Peter is facing his final preparation from God, his vision from God. He needed this vision because even though Peter was a Christian, he was still thinking as a Jew. And remember, according to the Jewish way of thinking, God didn't save Gentiles as Gentiles. They must also become Jews. It was a Jewish faith, new faith, the church. So look at verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, I've never eaten anything that's common or unclean. The voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, don't call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Okay, the Jews had two appointed times of prayer each day, but if you were real spiritual, you would also pray at noon. And this is what Peter's doing here. He goes to the rooftop of Tanner's, the, of Simon's house. And this would have been something people would do too to get away from noise and people to go up there, and they would have it prepared. And um, he is praying to God, and he falls into a trance. So I want you to picture the noonday sun, the stone home, the flat roof of the Jewish home, and in his trance, Peter sees the heavens wide open and a sheet coming down by its four corners. Maybe like the sheets hung on the rooftop of Simon's house to, to be um, a break from the sun. And maybe Peter was lying under that very sheet when this trance came upon him. Maybe it was a sheet like the giant sails Peter would have been looking at on the roof on the Mediterranean. God would use those things for this vision. On the sheet, all kinds of animals, reptiles and birds. Some of these animals would be called clean by the Jews, some unclean. And this is according to the laws that God gave the Jews in Leviticus. They were to eat specific foods so they would remain holy and set apart. If they ate everything that these um, pagans ate around them, then they could have social fellowship with them around those meals. This kept them separate from these uh, people that were worshiping false gods. But then Peter hears God's voice as he's looking at this sheet. Rise up, kill and eat. Remember, a Jew became unclean when he was in contact with anything unclean or common. And so Peter responds, his impulsive self, by no means, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. This was the third time in Peter's career that he directly refused to do what God was asking him to do. But we have to realize this. Peter's objection 
was embedded so deeply because of a lifetime of training. And so God in his graciousness repeats it three times. Now, he had to do that three times on the shore as well. So here still, he's going to tell Peter three times, do this. So in the trance of just a few moments, Peter had to unlearn the habits and the attitudes and the traditions of a lifetime from the time he was born. God wanted Peter to obey no matter how reluctant Peter wanted to be. And the sheet was taken back to heaven. God saying, what God has made clean, do not call common or unclean. And Peter is left there sitting on the warm tiles, scratching his head. And I think at this point, he couldn't understand. I don't think he understood. This vision wasn't about food. This vision was about people. It was about God's church. Clean and unclean representing the Jew and the Gentile together. In God's church and really all clean, called clean because of God and God's grace. I don't think God left Peter confused for very long because while he's sitting there scratching his head trying to figure out the vision, he hears someone yelling at Simon's gate, Hey, is this where Peter is? Hey! And then God's spirit says, Those guys are here for you. Go down there. Do what they say. And Peter, even though it says he's still pondering the vision, gets up and goes to the men at the gate. He does an interesting thing. He obeys God, but before they can head out to Caesarea, because they'd been traveling a long time, Peter invites them inside to be his guest. What? What? Unbelievable. We can know that God's Spirit's already beginning to shed light on the vision because a good Jew would never have invited those Gentiles into a house or eaten with them or fellowship with them unless, unless God could be saying, these people, these Gentiles are clean. His heart is beginning to grasp the truth. The next day they set out for Caesarea to Cornelius' home. It was a 10-hour hike. And even though Peter is not carrying a formal paper invitation from God for the Gentiles, he's not carrying that in his pocket. He is carrying God's invitation in his heart as they head that way. Look at verse 23. The next day, Peter rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell down at his feet, and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit any one of another nation. But God has shown me I shouldn't call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, Why you sent for me? 
Okay, we can still see God's fingerprints on this whole thing. Because did you notice that Peter brought some Jews with him? Okay, and did you notice that Cornelius had his house filled with Gentiles, friends and family? This is God's work. Because for a church later to understand this monumental work of God, that it was going to change the identity of the church, not just one man named Cornelius... Many Gentiles needed to share in this experience. And more Jews than Peter would be there, would needed to be there to witness this monumental event. So Peter's visit in Cornelius' house was definitely a breach of Jewish custom. He mentions that. And I think when Peter stepped into their room, I think it shocked these Gentiles so much. I think they backed up because they knew, oh, He's not supposed to be around us and kind of backed up into the corners of the house. But Peter had come to understand his vision, that it was about people. And he says, God has shown me, don't call anybody unclean that God has called clean. I thought it was interesting when he entered how Cornelius responded to Peter Here's what I think. Just as deeply as Peter realized it was wrong for Cornelius to worship him as a god, he now realized it was just as wrong for him to disdain Cornelius as a dog. Both of those things are wrong. And I think maybe Peter remembered some words Jesus had spoken to them in Mark 7. Let's look at those. Jesus called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. An unclean person is the person who behaves badly, not the self-righteous person who just tries to distance himself from what he considers to be unclean. And so now when we look at Peter, he's stepping on Gentile tiles. He's touching Gentile robes. He's breathing Gentile air. For the first time, he realizes they're not unclean. Galatians 3 tells us that. There is neither Jew nor Greek, which would be Gentiles. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Here's what Peter doesn't know yet. What exactly is the work God wants him to do? He gets all that, but he's still a little confused. Why has God sent me to you? So he asks Cornelius. Cornelius tells Peter his vision. We're not going to read that. But here's something he says. Cornelius realizes this is a holy moment, and Cornelius looks at Peter and says, We are all here in the presence. This is an incredible moment. And we're here, and God's here, and God has a plan. We are here to hear what he's got to say. And when Peter hears this, and that God came to Cornelius, it's the time for Peter to open God's invitation to the Gentiles. And so Peter speaks out. 
this anticipated invitation for the Gentile nations. And it is a gospel invitation to come to God through Christ, not as Jews first, but as Gentiles, to become part of God's church that would grow into what it is today. All of you, all of us, filled with believers from all the nations of the earth. And I love, we're going to read what Peter says. And I think that Luke probably sort of summarized everything Peter says. Because we've read other speeches of Peter. And he likes to talk. So this is sort of probably a shortened version. But his words were revolutionary. The result, revolutionary. And God will use them to sweep away the prejudices of the Jews for many generations. Look at verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we're witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and who drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Okay, we can pull out four points here that we can use anytime we want to share the gospel with anyone. Peter points them out right here for us. The first one, the good news of peace through Christ, who is Lord of all. When you come up to someone who's lost, you know what they want? Peace. They want peace in their life. So we can begin the gospel presentation by saying, "Ah, there is someone who can bring you peace. But you aren't going to have peace without God. Peace is made available through God's Son because he's Lord of all. And those who don't know God will be encouraged to realize there is a way for me to find the peace that has been evading my heart. Look at Ephesians 2. Peter is saying, Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far off, the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, the Jews. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into one holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. 
Secondly, he's got to go into the person of Christ, the anointing and the works of Christ. He says, God anointed Jesus with the Spirit and with power. And then Peter says, essentially, I saw it. I was there. I was with him. And so did my friends. And so did lots of other people. We saw people that were blind see. We saw paralyzed people walk. We saw dead people Come to life. We saw it. All accomplished by the power of Jesus. And so at this point, I think the Gentiles might think, I could put my faith in someone like that. Someone whose God's spirit is on. But they needed to know the rest of the story. Third gospel point. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The sacrifice of Christ is what would make it possible for them to have peace with God. And I think these Gentiles would have a little bit of an understanding about the Jewish sacrifices. I think Peter probably went into more detail than we're reading here. But they could understand this, that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was God's answer for the sin that was separating them from him. God's son bearing their sins willingly like a sacrificial lamb. And then Peter shares about the resurrection. Because if Christ stayed in the ground, he wouldn't have been God. So he has to tell them about the resurrection. And he's clear to point out again, there were many witnesses. And why does he say we ate and drank with Jesus? He doesn't want them to think he was a ghost. He was there. Jesus was there, resurrected from the dead. And then Peter says, and now he's living as a judge. And I wonder if some of the hearts stopped in the room of the Gentiles. He didn't know all this. Now we're going to be judged by him. What can we do? So Peter reads the last line on God's gospel invitation. The forgiveness of sins is available to all who believe in Jesus. He says this is what the prophets talked about. That there would come a Messiah and he would offer forgiveness. And Jesus fulfilled everything the prophets said. And as Cornelius... And his friends were listening with their ears. They began believing it in their hearts. And the Holy Spirit of God fell down in the whole house of Cornelius. What? Those Jews in the room, what? Shocked. Look at what God has done. Let's look at verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. So Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Okay, do you notice Peter says, just as we have, just as the apostles received the Spirit at Pentecost, Gentiles were receiving the Spirit here. That's why Peter needed to be there. He needed to make that connection. How we receive the Spirit, now the Gentiles receive the Spirit. And they found peace. 
finally, in God, through the sacrifice of his son. Not through works, not through trying to be Jewish, but through the grace of God. And because of that, the church would grow and grow and grow and spread and spread. Aren't you thankful for the day you went to a mailbox and you got an invitation from God himself? Now, I don't know what or who your mailbox was, but you had one in your life because he wanted you to be his. He wanted you to be his child. God's fingerprints were all over that invitation because he pursued you as he did Cornelius. He prepared you to know him, and then he invited you to come have fellowship with him, and receive his invitation of salvation. Look at Titus 3 on your verse sheet. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I read this story that I just made me cry, but um, it was um, a missionary. His father was dying, a godly man. He was lying on his bed, and they were gathered around. He didn't have much time left to live, and he was kind of murmuring and saying things, and they couldn't really understand him. Finally, some of them were leaning over, listening, realizing he was talking about the vision of Peter and the sheet. So they're leaning in. Now, I want to tell you this. Some translations of the vision say there were beasts and birds and creeping things. Um, You need to know that. So they lean over and they hear this dying man saying, beasts and birds. Beasts and birds and... And finally one of them said, well, the Bible says creeping things. And he said, that's it. That's how I got in. I was a good for nothing creeping thing. But I got in. Saved by grace. That's our story. We have to be ready to tell it. As Peter was. Look what First Peter says. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Let's be Peter. Let's hold on to our invitation and then go out and pass them on out to people who need to hear it. Let me pray. We love you, Lord. We love your grace in our lives, and we just give you all praise today. Give us the courage to take invitations out into the lost world that others may know of your goodness and love for them. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.